0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Genocide News Now, a bi-weekly news update from the Anti-Genocide Coffee Break, a multinational podcast. We are your hosts, Teresa Merck and Molly Reagan, and you can find us at www.lemkininstitute.com, as well as on Patreon, Spotify, and iTunes. All the news and action items mentioned in the podcast are available on our website. Now, let's dive into the news. We start today's episode with the latest out of Gaza, and more specifically, the city of Rafa. Rafa is Gaza's southernmost city and consists of 64 square kilometers, or 25 square miles. It is also the place that Palestinians have been increasingly pushed into over the course of the last four months since Israel's bombardment of Gaza began following October 7th. To put the density of the people living there into perspective, it is among the three most dense places in the world today, with 1.3 million people displaced and living in makeshift tents there. Many of the people who are currently residing there have been displaced many times over since October 7th and have been assured by Israeli forces of their safety further south, making the threat of a looming ground attack there all the more indicative of Israel's genocidal agenda against Palestinians. The United Nations has recently warned of famine-like conditions affecting 2.3 million people in the Gaza Strip, with the death toll surpassing 30,000 as of Thursday, February 29th, when Israeli troops fired into a large crowd of Palestinians seeking food aid from a nearby aid convoy killing at least 117 and injuring another 750. It is against this backdrop that Israeli forces are threatening to attack Rafah, the last safe haven left in Gaza for people to escape to. The escalatory actions by the Israeli government are an outgrowth of the impunity with which the IDF has operated over the past months. The United States is guaranteeing further impunity for Netanyahu and his genocidal regime going forward. The United States recently demonstrated its complicity in this genocide yet again by vetoing a February 20th UN ceasefire resolution for Gaza. Lemkin Institute continues to stand in solidarity with Palestinians against the Israeli government and urges international actors, specifically the United States, to end its complicity in this genocide and leverage its influence for a ceasefire and lasting political settlement of this intractable conflict.
1: Let's turn now to Ethiopia, where Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed is continuing his war on his own people. As the Lemkin Institute has been documenting, the Amhara region has been the focus of the regime's ire since last year when it met resistance to its planned integration of regional militias, most notably Fano with the Ethiopian National Defense Force, or ENDF. In addition to the clashes between Fano and the ENDF, Addis has commenced a program of extrajudicial killings of civilians by both soldiers and drones since last August. One of the bloodiest dates of the current conflict happened on the 29th of January in the town of Marawi, where government forces killed at least 45 Amhara citizens in door-to-door raids. The government's own Human Rights Council released a preliminary report on the incident and expects the real number of dead to be, quote, even higher upon further investigation. Most of those killed were young men that witnesses say uniformed ENDF troops accused of either sheltering Fano fighters or being members of Fano themselves. For its part, the federal government denies involvement. The international community has expressed concern over continued fighting in Ethiopia and have called for access to Amhara to be granted to international observers to thoroughly investigate what is happening in the region. Unfortunately, there's little hope that Abiy will consider this. His government's relentless campaign against the International Commission of Human Rights Experts in Ethiopia led to the expiration of the group's mandate at the United Nations Human Rights Council in October 2023. The Lemkin Institute will continue to shine a light on the situation in Ethiopia in hopes of an End to the killings and so that justice may someday be served for the victims. Our next story takes us to the Democratic Republic of Congo, where fighting between militia groups and government forces has intensified in recent months. On the 14th of February, the South African government reported that two members of its peacekeeping force were killed by mortar fire on their base near the city of Goma. The same day, it was reported that at least 12 people were killed and 16 others kidnapped by rebel forces from the Kotoko armed group at a gold mine near Jugu district in Ituri province. This is the latest iteration of the complicated three decades old conflict, which began after the end of the genocide in neighboring Rwanda. Following the genocide in 1994, many Hutu genocideers, troops, and former regime leaders fled to the Democratic Republic of Congo and stayed in refugee camps there before regrouping in hopes of restoring a Hutu government in Rwanda. Not only did the Hutu extremists launch attacks in Rwanda, but they also killed Tutsis in the Congo. As a consequence, Rwanda began arming Tutsi militias in the DRC. In this way, the two countries have become entangled in a conflict that has seen 6 million people killed and 6 million more displaced in a war over ethnicity, influence, and control of resources that has been ongoing since the mid-1990s. International groups and governments warn that the situation in the eastern DRC is on the brink of spilling across the border with Rwanda. Many in the region blame M23 for the state of affairs, one of the 120 armed groups operating in the region, and a group that is believed to be funded by Rwanda's government, despite President Paul Kagame's denial of such allegations. Importantly, M23 seized Goma 10 years ago, and there's a fear that it intends to do so again, with the Norwegian Refugee Council stating, quote, the isolation of Goma, home to over 2 million people and hosting hundreds of thousands of displaced individuals who have fled clashes with armed groups would bring disastrous consequences to the region. It is difficult to foresee how this conflict can end in a way that guarantees security for different ethnic groups that have been ensnared in this violence for three decades now. However, the current conditions cannot be tolerated, and it is vital that the international community call attention to this matter and assess how best to move forward in a fashion that minimizes fatalities and is favorable for a more stable future. Today's final story concerns
0: Sudan, and the violence has been unfolding there since April of last year. When clashes broke out between the country's armed forces and a paramilitary faction known as the Rapid Support Forces, or the RSF, the UN recently released a report which reveals the extent of human rights abuses that have been committed by both sides of the conflict and which likely amount to war crimes. Having been composed from interviews with over 300 victims and witnesses, and covering the period between April and December of last year, the report reveals valuable information regarding what individuals in the region have been living through for the past 10 months. Importantly, the report provides context for a conflict that has been largely inaccessible to aid groups and rights monitors recently, and documents the abuses that have been carried out by both parties to the conflict. One of the more striking accounts of the report comes from a woman who was reportedly detained in a building and subjected to repeated gang rapes over 35 days. According to the UN, at least 118 people were victims of sexual violence, including rape, which was carried out by members of paramilitary forces in homes and on the streets. Additionally, both parties to the conflict recruited child soldiers to join in the fighting. With 8 million people forced to flee their homes and thousands killed, Sudan has become the country with the largest displaced population in the world. Volker Turk, the UN human rights chief, said that, quote, For almost a year, stories from the Sudan have told of death, suffering, and despair, as a senseless conflict and human rights violations continue with no end in sight. The guns must be silenced and civilians must be protected, end quote. Institute echoes Turk's plea for an end to the violence occurring in this region, a goal that can be supported by cracking down on military support to both sides of the civil war. In particular, the people of Sudan need the resources to help victims of this conflict manage decades of trauma so they may look to a more peaceful future. We will continue to keep you apprised on the latest from Sudan in future episodes.
1: That's all we have time for on this episode of Genocide News Now, but be sure to tune in to future episodes and stay up-to-date on global news. Be sure to visit our website at www.lemkininstitute.com for more on our work in the field of genocide prevention. And if you want to take action and make an individual difference, feel free to take a look at our list of resources on our Take Action page on our website. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.